0: Tintin was certainly born of my unconscious desire to be perfect, to be a hero. Welcome to Gutsy Talks Tintin. Over this first season, I've discussed Tintin's first five adventures and what motivated Hergé uh, to send his boy reporter on these travels, as well as the developments in Hergé's life, both professional and personal. But today we are going to take a step back. To explore how a young man named Georges Remy transformed into one of the most celebrated artists of the 20th century and how he gifted the world one of its most beloved characters. All of this and more in Gatsy Talks Tintin, Urge and the Creation of Tintin. Hergé was born Georges Prosper Rémy on the 22nd of May 1907 in Etterbeek, Brussels. His parents were loving but not overbearing. His family was comfortable but not prosperous, Catholic but not devout, and he was soon joined by a younger brother, Paul, when he was five. Whenever he looked back, Hergé would always stress in his upbringing both the love his parents had for him as well as an almost oppressive sense of mediocrity and normality. My childhood was very humdrum, set in very unremarkable surroundings, with nothing exciting happening and all very conventional. For me, it was less the poet's green paradise, more grey. It was not a happy or sad childhood, just dreary. As a child, he was mostly well-behaved, but energetic, and his parents quickly learned that paper and pencils were the best way to occupy the young boy when he was out of the house. This interest in drawing would not be abated when he first began school. I went to the municipal school. The war had just begun. I drew little stories in the exercise books. They were little adventures without text because I imagined all the dialogue. I think they were about a little chap, a spy, who played endless dirty tricks on the Germans. It's all gone now, but I remember clearly enough to say, well, well, it was a picture story. This little spy, hidden amongst various other doodles scribbled into the margins of his notebooks, might be Urge's first protagonist, and sure enough, he is a plucky underdog. It's a historical irony that Hergé's diligence in schoolwork continued into his secondary education in every subject except art. Nevertheless, his love of drawing grew alongside another passion, that of the great outdoors and adventure. Joining the Boy Scout troop of his Catholic secondary school, Hergé earned the nickname Curious Fox from his natural interest in the world around him, and would seldom be seen without a notebook filled with caricatures, landscapes, and all manner of planes, trains, and automobiles. It was with scouting that they really began to open up in front of me. It's the greatest memory of my youth. Being close to nature, respecting nature, resourcefulness. It was all very important to me. And even if it seems a bit old-fashioned today, I still hold dear the values we learned. Pierre Asselini goes further. This period would remain an ideal for the rest of his life, giving him a value system, all the more effective because it did not appear as such. A way of looking at the world, a social attitude. More than giving him a taste for camping and a love of nature, his years as a scout would give him a moral for the rest of his life, teaching him friendship as a natural virtue and generosity as an everyday act. Scouting stressed the importance of giving your word and staying true to it. It alone permitted him to travel, to make friends for life, and to leave behind an atmosphere whose vacuity and inertia threatened to smother him. Hergé's twin passions of scouting and art found their natural synthesis when, at the behest of his scoutmaster, he began illustrating in his scout troops magazine, Jamais Assez, which translates to Never Enough. And then, in 1922, in the Scouting Federation's magazine, Le Boy Scout, which translates to the Boy Scout. Far from the comic panels he would become famous for, Auger's output for these publications included all manner of logos, graphics, illustrations, covers and wood cuttings. After much experimentation, he would settle on his famous pseudonym in December 1925. The name Georges Remy, he understood, would one day be attached to the great and serious works that hung in galleries and museums. For now, he would rely on the pronunciation of his initials, GR, in reverse. R.G. Urge. Fittingly, one of the names most associated with the development of comic art would be attached to his first proper foray into the medium. In early 1926, he created a comic strip with the Serpentine title, United Rovers Presents, a great comedy film, The Extraordinary Adventures of Totor, Patrol Leader of the Maybugs. As I was a Boy Scout, I started telling the story of a little Boy Scout to other little Boy Scouts. They were not yet real comic strips, they were more like stories with illustrations and from time to time, a shy little exclamation mark or question mark. It wasn't the comic strip as it's understood today. It relied on captions rather than speech bubbles, but in the character of patrol leader Toto, ambitious, plucky, resourceful, the proto-Tintin undeniably had emerged. Whether due to artistic choice or a relative inability to distinguish characters, the physical similarities between Toto and Tintin as he appears in his first adventure are abundant. Toto would continue for three years. After graduating from secondary school in 1925, Hergé began work in the subscriptions department of the staunchly Catholic nationalist Levitium Cicle, or the 20th century, again at the behest of his scoutmaster. The papist editor, the priest Norbert Vallez, was a well-known and somewhat large-than-life figure to whom Urge would instantly gravitate. When I look back at my youth, it was grey. Grey and mediocre. I definitely don't want to return to it. It wasn't until I made it to Levitium Cicle and Valez, the abbot, who influenced me a lot, I can see now, he made me aware of myself. After a brief interruption to complete compulsory Belgian military service, Hergé contacted Valles and was promoted to the position of photographer, cartoonist and photo engraver, once more contributing many accompanying illustrations in a variety of styles and mediums. Valles obviously appreciated the young artist's diligence and he asked him to oversee the paper's newly established children's supplement La Petit Vétiem or Little Twentieth. Le Vétiem Cicle was a very right-wing newspaper But I had the Pope's blessing and that of my editor, so I felt safe. Tintin's world was, in a way, blessed beforehand. In this role, Hergé would discover Spanish-language versions of syndicated American comic strips, and was struck by their extensive and effective use of speech bubbles, common in American comics at the time, but rarely used in France and Belgium. I thought basically it was much better to tell a story this way than putting the captions under the pictures. It would be three and a half months in this position before Vallez requested that, in accordance with Le Petit Vétements' express purpose of providing a nationalist education to children through entertainment, created a hero that would fight for good all over the world. Tintin was to be a good Catholic hero, but as with his creator, his religion was such an ingrained and inherent part of his character that it never needed to be displayed outwardly. As a reporter the hero would have a pretense to travel to the Soviet Union and expose the evils of Socialism, which far considered a priority. I was employed by a newspaper with an editor above me. Above the editor was the reporter, who was a great traveller. It was the time of the Crocier-Jean of Alain Gabalt. It was the time of great journalists like Albert Londers and Kessel. I wanted to make Tintin into a newspaper reporter, he was going to travel. Another possible inspiration, explored at length in Philip Godin's preface to the recently colourised anniversary edition of Tintin in the Land of the Soviets, was the Danish boy explorer Palay Huld, who won a contest to recreate the transcontinental voyage of Phineas Fogg, character from Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days. Neither Hergé nor Valéz ever cited Hald as an inspiration for Tintin, but the similarities are not insignificant. John Henley, writing in The Guardian Fresh-faced, freckled, with a snub nose, a shock of bright red hair, and a perchant for plus-fours, 15-year-old boy scout and car showman clerk Paule Hald left Copenhagen on March 1st and duly circled the globe, including the then war-torn Manchuria and foreigner unfriendly Moscow by train and passenger line. Hergé, however, would cite inspirations closer to home. My childhood companion and playmate was my brother, who was five years younger than me. I watched him and he amused and fascinated me. Undoubtedly, this explains how Tintin adopted his character, his gesture, his attitude. While Catholic nationalism and the archetypal adventuring reporter would both be integral aspects of the character's origin, it was Urget's own Boy Scout spirit that would remain the most endearing element of Tintin's character. He is uncomplicated, uncompromising, fueled less by missionary zeal or journalistic fervour than a boy's natural righteousness and thirst for adventure. Tintin, I gave him a face without specific characteristics so the boys of his age could see themselves in him. A masked face, like Zorro. It's a simplicity that extends to the character's name. Had Urge ever seen the children's book Tintin Lutin with its titular boy goblin character who has a quiff of hair and wears distinctive plus four trousers? It's certainly possible. But the name Tintin, easy to remember, neither a recognizable first or last name, conveys the same anonymity as the character's distinctive silhouette. Any boy could be Tintin, and of course, every boy would wish to be. OJ is sometimes criticized that the few female characters in his series are archetypal nags and divas, but of course, this is how women would appear to his initial target audience. The irony, of course, is that today, Tintin is just as popular with female readers as with males, perhaps even more so, but this was never by design. I can see now that Tintin was a sort of projection of myself, just like all the other characters, because they are all a part of me. And Tintin is a projection of me. The hero, without fear or flaws, it's how I would like to be. In any case, what I strove to be. Over the years he was surrounded by flawed characters, people with flaws, physical and moral flaws. Captain Haddock has many flaws, but he accepts himself as he is. But There are the Thompson twins, they're idiots, which I often am, I see myself in them. But in Tintin, there's a subconscious desire to be a hero which you rarely are in real life. Probably never. Berger's Catholic upbringing would cause him considerable spiritual and emotional torment as he grew older. He would undergo several bouts of severe depression, exacerbated by a marriage breakdown in which he was unable to hold himself to the lofty standards of loyalty he felt bound to. Throughout all of this torment, however, Tintin retained his purity. No matter how much Hergé changed, Tintin, steadfast, loyal, undaunted, would stay the same, a reflection not just of Hergé's better nature, but as an eternal image of friendship and righteousness immortalized on paper for all future generations. Tintin isn't a dream of my youth turned into reality. I never thought of making drawing into a career. The idea of Tintin's character and the type of adventures he was going to undertake came to me in about five minutes as I was sketching his silhouette for the first time. He didn't haunt my youth, not even my dreams. It's possible that, as a child, I sometimes imagined myself as a kind of tinting character. In this way, and in this way only, he was the manifestation of a dream common to all children, not only to the future Urge. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed this very special season finale of Gatsy Talks Tintin. You know, there's, as you can imagine, with a character as well renowned as Tintin, there's a lot of different ingredients that are attributed to that character. And I think you could go into any of these at length. You could write an essay about the Catholicism in Tintin or, you know, the Boy Scout in Tintin or how Tintin was a reflection of Hergé's youth. All of those are potentially very, very valid interpretations. And I've sort of, as you can probably tell, tried to synthesise all of those as best I can. Now, full disclosure, this may shock you, but that wasn't actually Hergé speaking. That was me. But they are all Urge quotes. All the quotes in this podcast are real Urge quotes. But they're from various interviews from, you know, across 30 or 40 years. And I'll provide the sources for the information for this podcast uh, in the episode show notes. But I hope you've enjoyed this special episode. I don't want the series to just be the reviews. You know, that will sort of be the, the, the cornerstone. But I would like to do these... these these one-offs, these sort of special episodes looking at one issue in particular or, or one topic, one piece of media that's maybe not one of the albums in particular, but that's it for, uh, for this season. I'm going to take a break over over Christmas, and I'm sure I'll get back to it early next year with a, with a, a review of Tintin the Broken Ear I'm up to next. So that will be a lot of fun. In the meantime, I'm still going to be updating the Instagram page, which is tintin.podcast on Instagram, at tintin.podcast. So definitely follow that if you want to keep up to date with the show. And also, you can always check out latterichardcom slash tintin. That's www.l-a-t-t-e-r-a-t-u-r-e.com slash tintin for a look back on the show as well as some other podcasts that I'm quite proud of, and I'll be uh, focusing a bit more on them now that this, this first chunk of episodes has been taken care of. So I hope you are all very well, Tin Tin Heads 2020 has been a hell of a year, and I hope you've all taken the opportunity. If you've been fortunate enough to be in lockdown and fortunate enough to not have to work i hope you've taken the opportunity to settle down with some uh, classic tintin stories as i know i have and i look forward to reaching your podcast apps of choice in 2021 in the meantime though tintin heads thank you so much for listening and i'll see you next time